Well, we're going to get into the Word this morning. Uh, our text is in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 24. It is one of the, the appointed texts from the lectionary, so believers all around the world are reading this one today. Uh, the letter of uh, 1 John is, uh, is related to the one who wrote the story of Jesus according to John. It's probably the same eyewitness who was an intimate personal friend of Jesus of Nazareth and then became a leader of the early church. And the first part of the letter really talks about the importance of acknowledging the reality of sin, that sin is something that we uh, all participate in. Um, and then from there, it, it, uh, after affirming the reality of God's grace and forgiveness for those who confess, it shifts into talking about how we are to live in light of God's love and God's grace. And so our text today is right where that shift happens. Um, I'll read the scripture over us. Um, I invite you to allow these ancient words to speak uh, into your life today. So whether you want to close your eyes and listen, uh, or you can follow along in the chat, uh, the words uh, are, have appeared in the chat there, um, allow the scripture to speak to you this morning. Let's give our full attention to the reading of God's word. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 24. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Living God, uh, who loves us, who created us and formed us uh, for intimate communion with all of creation. Jesus Christ, who is God with us, showing solidarity with us, embracing us in our weakness. Holy Spirit, who gives life to all the earth. We long to meet with you today. Thank you for the life that is springing up in our community. Thank you for the life of our brother Octaviano. Thank you for the life that surrounded us as we served at Elahe yesterday. Thank you for life that you intend to bring over all the earth. And we pray today that as we meditate on your word, that you would give us life and more life. Spirit of God, speak through the word of God 
to the people of God. And everybody on Zoom said, Amen. Hopefully you said amen on Facebook too, if you're out there right now. The risen Jesus, the risen Jesus leads us out of religion that has been hijacked by oppression and into his life-giving, liberating way. Let the church say amen. The risen Jesus leads us out of religion that has been hijacked by oppression and into his life-giving, liberating way. Let the church say amen again. Mm. Earlier this week, the Covenant Church, our denomination, that uh, our, our mother denomination, put out a statement affirming the conviction of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd. It's a good statement. Uh, you can find it on the Evangelical Covenant Church Facebook page or at covchurch.org. It's a, it's a pretty good statement, and for time's sake, I won't quote it, but it speaks about solidarity with those who are oppressed as, as a, a vital, necessary part of our discipleship to Jesus Christ. So they put out that statement, which was great, um, but what happened next was not great. The Bible says, don't read the comments. Well, I wish it said that, because that would have been helpful. <laughs> um, as with all moves of God, and as with all healthy leadership changes, as with all work for justice, there is a backlash. When we make a good change, when we uh, make a choice, a decision, a movement that, that uh, moves us in flow with the Holy Spirit, that makes the world look a little bit more like what Jesus desires, there is a backlash. And um, people, I, I, I don't normally try to bring out our, our family's dirty laundry, but I'll just tell you, people on the denomination's Facebook page began to respond with racial gaslighting saying the killing wasn't racist. What proof do you have that the killing was racist? Chauvin never meant to hurt George Floyd. This is not a church matter. This is a state matter. The church should not even speak about such matters. Uh, some of them were current uh, members, even leaders of churches in our movement. And other folks said, um, this is why I left the denomination. I wasn't sad about that. But as I think about the ways that so many Christian people, people who claim the name of Jesus, people who proclaim the authority of the scriptures, uh, also justify the killings of black and brown people. They would justify the killing of George Floyd. They would justify the killing of Adan Toledo. They would justify the killing of Micaiah Bryant. I also have to say that our religion, my religion, my religion, even some of our denominational family, our religion has been hijacked by forces of oppression. I feel it. You feel it too. I see you nodding there and I don't want to beat around the bush. I want to be as blunt as I can about this. 
But as I considered the word this week, as I spent time in scripture this week, as I learned about the context that the Apostle John was writing in, it was a comfort to me to realize that God's people have been here before. Did you know that? God's people have dealt with this same kind of struggle before. If you've got a neighbor, say to your neighbor, we've been here before. If you don't have a neighbor, look at your Zoom screen and tell your Zoom screen, we've been here before. Church, we have been here before. Because the first letter of St. John seems to be written to a community of Jesus followers that has experienced actually a split from another group that also takes the name of Jesus. Even as the early church began to grow and reach out across cultures, division also seems to have grown and ultimately splintered that community. And John's letter confronts a few of the ideas that prompted the split. The first one, I mentioned this one, the idea that sin wasn't a big deal. Another one, this idea that belief mattered more than behavior. If you just think something, then that is what really matters. And how you act is secondary to that. And all of this is related to what Pastor Andrea was sharing last week. The idea that the spiritual and the physical are separate. That the resurrection of Jesus is, is just a spiritual idea and not an embodied physical reality. And that Christian beliefs are a disembodied set of principles that we can just lift out of, a, uh, out of their context, out of their embodied context, use them as conceptual ideals rather than embodied practices. And against these, the Apostle John speaks to the churches of that day, and, he's, and, and he speaks to us today. And he says, actually, fam, sin is a huge deal. It's something we all participate in. It is something that leads to death. It is a relational chaos, an inability to relate well to human beings, and an inability to relate well to God, and an inability to relate well to ourselves. And it's a huge deal. And not only that, behavior is a huge deal, because physical, relational reality is not separate from spirituality. It is how we express our faith in Jesus. I'll say more about that in just a minute. But I think John understands this. When theology is disembodied, it's easier to manipulate. When theology becomes conceptual instead of relational, it can be used to harm people. When abstract principles are elevated above concrete realities, we miss the point of God becoming human. We miss the point of God becoming human. And if there's anything good and critical about the Christian religion, it's this. We believe God became human and shared our struggles all the way to the point of death and redeems them in his physical resurrection. When we pull the name of Jesus and the words of Scripture out of the context they come from, out of the story they happened in, at best, our theology is no longer useful in confronting the actual experience of evil in the world. And even worse, it can be used to justify wicked 
oppressive behaviors by individuals and by systems. Our church, the church, has been hijacked by oppression. And as we begin to wonder, we start to wonder, is there even a place for me in the church? Has anyone wondered that? Has anyone looked at what is going on and said, how do I possibly worship God in community when we are so clearly not following the way of Jesus in loving one another? How do I do this? And we start to experience church hurt. Amen? Wave at me if this is you. We start to, we start to wonder if God has abandoned us. We begin to feel spiritual confusion and we're like, Lord, what is going on? Was any of this even real? And it's because our church has been hijacked by oppression. But the good news, the good news, the good, good news is that Jesus is bringing life and liberation to all of creation. We cannot stop him even if we try, no matter how we try. We cannot stop Jesus Christ from bringing life and liberation to all creation. And that is the good news of Eastertide. I have been reading uh, in the Book of Common Prayer, and the liturgy in Eastertide says, Alleluia, Christ is risen. And every time I read that, I say to myself, Alleluia, Christ is risen. This means we get to keep on fighting. It doesn't mean everything is like hunky-dory. It doesn't mean we're all finished up. It means we get to keep on fighting. In the words of St. Wyclef of Jean, the record is not over yet. The game is still on. And we can follow Jesus out of a religion that oppresses into a faith that liberates and gives life when knowledge becomes love, when words become action, and when belief becomes obedience, when knowledge becomes love, and words become action, and belief becomes obedience. That may seem simple, and it is. I'm, uh, I, I, I try to keep it simple. It needs to be simple, because what will surprise us is the ferocity, the ferocity, fam, the ferocity we saw uh, in the comment section with which oppression will challenge us and say that knowledge of Jesus doesn't have to lead to love like Jesus. Words about Jesus don't have to lead to behavior like Jesus. Belief in Jesus doesn't have to challenge our loyalty to the status quo and the powers that be. Oppression will challenge us fiercely with those lies. And so I offer these points as signposts on the way to liberation and life. Verse 16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help. The word know, knowing, 
is repeated three times in this short passage, three times in eight verses. It's a theme for John. He's wrestling with these questions. Church, how do you know what love is? Church, how do you know you are loved by God and that you belong to God? How do you know? And John says it's just this. Jesus gave his life for us, and so we do the same for each other. He gave his life for us, so we do the same for each other. Against the dominant culture of the ancient Mediterranean, which proclaimed the goodness of knowledge for its own sake, and against our tendency, our habit today of constantly, anxiously collecting information, I see you out there doom-scrolling. My Facebook feed tells me when y'all are online. Mm, I'm guilty too. John reminds us that knowledge is not useful for its own sake. Knowledge must lead to embodied love. The point of Christian theology is embodied love. It is not to figure out what is like the accurate, correct belief. It is to answer this question, what is the most loving thing? How is God expressing God's love? The point of all Christian theology is only ever embodied love. And it's a specific type of love. It's the type of love Jesus shows us at the cross. Not a controlling love to keep a messy creation in line. Not a threatening love. Always ready to punish humans for the wrong behavior, the wrong belief the wrong words. It's it's, it's what the eggheads call a cruciform love. Love in the shape of a cross. Love in the shape of Almighty God become vulnerable human. Jesus leads us to life and liberation when knowledge leads to love. And he leads us to life and liberation When words lead to action. In verse 18 it says, Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth or action. This is hard for me because I am a word guy. Always words, 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 all the time. How how do I engage with this? Earlier this year, uh, we started doing a land acknowledgement in worship. Gus noticed it a couple weeks ago, mentioned it. You may have noticed it uh, we say our, you know, our desire is Jesus, our mission is justice, our home is Southeast Portland, the traditional land of the Clackamas people. Um, and, and that's sort of in vogue right now. I don't know, if you're in, interacting with other progressive organizations, you know, our kids' school now say, you know, we're on this traditional land. It's kind of popular right now. I think it's good to do, because words, I believe, have power, especially when we speak the names of people who are not being acknowledged, Right? That's why we speak the names of of victims of police violence and we speak the names of those who have been forgotten. We speak the names of the indigenous people of our land. This land, pardon me. I'm a guest. Um, But I did not want us to start doing a land acknowledgement in worship until uh, we were actually engaging the indigenous North American community in some tangible way. So even though theologically I was convinced, I was like, yeah, land acknowledgement would be a good thing. I thought we shouldn't say anything until we're actually going to do something. Okay. 
So when the Holy Spirit then started stirring our church, and, and, and it came from multiple directions, this desire to get involved in Elahe. Kat Bonham wrote it first on our, our Instagram page uh, in, in November, and then Bonnie was showing interest, and then Andrea started dreaming, and so the Holy Spirit was doing this thing. And then I thought, okay, okay, now our acknowledgement of indigenous land will be connected to action. So now we can, we can really own that. And, and as Bonnie shared, you, you all already made a difference. You're a generous church. Those huckleberries are getting planted. We are going back. And, and uh, we're, we're going to start giving some financial support to Elahe uh, Indigenous Center for Earth Justice as well. Because our, our words must lead to action. Knowledge needs to love. Words lead to action. And finally, when we're following Jesus... Beliefs lead to obedience. Belief leads to obedience. This is his commandment, says verse 23, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. So a number of you... um, Got to uh, meet with Randy and Edith Woodley uh, yesterday. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had the privilege of studying with Randy. Uh, he was one of my professors. And he was constantly reframing how we, the students, uh, thought about things. I mean, he, he wouldn't even say, uh, I was intentional not, not to say that I studied under Randy, even though I was benefiting so much from his wisdom, because he really sees us all as co-learners. Okay, and he would talk about that. He was always reframing things. Um, and one day we were having some discussion about some issue or behavior. You know how like Christian leaders like to argue about like this or that belief or this or that. I don't remember what we were saying. And one of us said, well, this group, you know, uh, believes that, but they don't do it. And Randy, you know, he was, he was very chill about it. It wasn't like a, there was no PowerPoint this not, was not like part of a lecture or something. He just said something like, he said, see, for indigenous people, we would just say, if you don't do it, you don't believe it. And that was it. If you don't do it, you don't believe it. And I think that is such a biblical point of view. That's what John is showing us in this text. Belief and obedience are one thing. If I don't do it, I don't believe it. Is Jesus the highest authority in my life? If I believe it, do I also live like it? Or am I allowing other things to tell me who I am? You know, there are, there are so many ways that that message can come to us. But one of those ways is certainly culture. For, for everybody, black, indigenous, people of color, white folks too. Our culture wants to tell us who we are. There's a narrative that would have us put our faith in America. And one of the most confusing things about the verdict this week, one of the reasons that that people I spoke with, and, and many of you as well, we felt a mixture of emotions, right? Because it felt tempting to put our hope in the legal system. Let's not be fooled, church. Let's not be fooled. Let's remember that our hope is in Jesus alone. 
Belief leads to obedience, and that means Jesus is always the highest authority in my life. Amen? I should emphasize one more thing, and it's this. We don't find our way to life on our own. I do not find my way to life on my own. We don't win our own liberation. It's not our knowledge or strength or ability themselves that get us to the life God has for us. Fam, it is the intervention of the Holy Spirit by the grace of God shown us in Jesus. It is the intervention of the Holy Spirit by the grace of God shown us in Jesus. Grace shown us in Jesus' choice to abide in us and allowing us to abide in Him. Grace shown us when He gave His life at the cross. Grace shown us when we were at our most broken and lost. Last Tuesday, I was studying this text and in the middle of the day, Sabrina called me. Now, typically, we, we communicate through text message, right? Because we're, we're Zennials. We just text each other, etc. So if she calls, like, we got to talk about something, right? So she calls, and she's in the middle of work, and she says, uh, they're going to announce the verdict. I was like, sermon prep is officially over. Uh, we're not getting any more studying done today. So I turned on the radio started listening to the news and I just I started I started weeping just with with anticipation also with exhaustion also with anxiety just overcome with emotion and then I started just nervously checking social media and every you know same thing oh they're gonna announce the verdict I feel this I feel that um, I interacted with one post by an african-american organizer in our neighborhood um, his name's Malcolm, and he's leading something called Black Futures Farm. I certainly encourage y'all Google that. Um, the point of the farm is to help black people, African-descended people, develop a vision for sustainable food independence. And it's, it's right here where we live on the land of the Clackamas people, okay? Um, we met briefly in person when, when Sabrina and I were on a walk in the neighborhood one day, and we'd wanted to connect, but we just hadn't yet. Um, so I interacted with his post. And he said, hey, I'm at the farm today. Why don't you come by? And I thought, well, not getting any work done. So sure. <laughs> and so I head over there. And right as I head over there, they announced the verdict. Right. So now uh, Malcolm, who I've never spent time with, um, is the first person I interact with after the verdict is announced. And I'm the first person he interacts with. Um, this pastor, he doesn't know. And I ask him how he's doing, and he shares, and, and he asks me how I'm doing, and I share. And then we start to share our life stories and our, our histories, our backgrounds. And then he starts telling me about the, the vision for the farm, this dream that African-descended people could see what is possible in terms of agency, in terms of stability, and being able to care for themselves and their families sustainably. And we ended up praying together standing in the middle of this plot of land with our hands lifted up, praying 
God's blessing over this piece of land in Southeast Portland, praying for black families in Southeast Portland, praying for all that God could do through this dream. Church, that filled me with life. I went from feeling lost and broken and confused to a place where I knew that I was right where Jesus wanted me to be. When I felt broken and lost, he led me to a place of life and liberation. He allowed me to to let knowledge of Malcolm's presence in the neighborhood become love as I held space for him. He allowed my words to become, become action as I got to tangibly show some support. He allowed belief to become obedience as, as Malcolm and I agreed together and we said, you know, what? we may work for change in our government, but this government has no authority to tell us who we are. We are the people of God. We are the church. We are the followers of Jesus Christ. And I knew that Jesus had led me there. Knowledge becomes love. Words become action. Belief becomes obedience. And Jesus Christ is bringing life to all creation. Let's pray together. Hallelujah.